welcome to Digfin Vox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. If you enjoy the program, please give us a like and get that YouTube algorithm working. My guest today is Brad Jones, founder and CEO of Wave Money, a payments fintech in Myanmar. Myanmar has been through a military coup, a lot of problems around personal security, internet outages, and recurring waves of COVID. I spoke with Brad about the strategic, sometimes painful decisions he had to make to keep the business on track and continue to serve the people of Myanmar. Brad Jones, welcome to Digifin Fox. Great to have you. Thanks, James. Great to be here. So it's been a very tough year uh, for, for Wave Money, uh, not because of anything intrinsic to the business, but obviously being in Myanmar in the wake of a coup and a terrible COVID uh, epidemic, uh, you've probably had more on your plate than the average fintech startup founder uh, in, in the region. Uh, walk us through a little bit what happened, uh, I guess, a year ago um, when, the, when the tanks rolled in and, uh, and the government uh, st- military staged a coup. Yeah, so obviously we'd come off the back of nearly 12 months of COVID and and essentially the business had actually, like a lot of other digital payments businesses um, globally, our business had actually gone very well during COVID because people had really moved to digitization very quickly. Uh, We had moved many, many, many merchants online uh, to assist them. And so we were really bullish about 2021 and and we saw really that uh, uh, the COVID digitization wave would continue and uh, and whilst uh, whilst the economy had actually been impacted somewhat through closures and lockdowns and so on we were pretty bullish um, unfortunately then we had the the situation that emanated from the first of February which really has led to a series of shocks in Myanmar which have definitely impacted the business and, and the economy mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways our business is a proxy for the economy because when we're moving money around the country and, and particularly the significant amount of money we move around, what we tend to find is that if the economy is actually hit, then the amount of money that's also moving around the country is impacted as well. So, um, so yeah, so really um, not only the security aspects of the, of the shock, uh, but the economic shocks that have emanated have certainly had an impact this year. What went through your head? What was the discussions like with your team in the immediate aftermath of of that, um, you know, there's continues to be, but at the time there was demonstrations, violence in the streets, um, internet shutdowns, uh, you know, what was, what were the key decisions that you had to make? I think firstly, it, it's actually felt over the course of 2021 that it's been really uh, more crisis than business as usual, because we really felt that we went from crisis to crisis. So, I mean, the initial crisis was really the the security situation and really the overriding factor for us was to make sure that all of our staff was safe. Um, we were all working from home given COVID, uh, but obviously a lot of the staff were, were disturbed by what had happened uh, with the 1st of February. And so we had to show a lot of empathy. We had to show a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of awareness about the situation and, and really be very patient with the staff as they worked through uh, the emotions that they worked through around the situation as it had occurred. So I think the first iteration was really about making sure staff were as safe as possible. Um, and then um, being 
I suppose, cognizant of how they were feeling, you know, and the, the impact of, of that to the majority of staff uh, who, who obviously had spent the last five years in a very different sort of environment and, um, and were uh, probably fairly bullish about uh, the future of the country. Um, we saw a lot of challenges, obviously, that happened, uh, and I won't sort of make comment politically about what was happening on the streets and so on, but it was, you know, obviously some concerning things that were actually happening uh, with protests and so on. That really led um, the, uh, the SAC to introduce internet bans. And yes, that was probably... Is, uh, what, sorry? Uh, the junta, the, the basically, the, uh, the, the, the military. So they, that led to them introducing 4G bans, really, to try and limit and control the use of the internet, uh, particularly for um, its use for organisation and so on. And so, you know, we're a 100% app-based business. One of the things about the Myanmar market is that it did leapfrog straight to digital. Uh, and so all of a sudden, we had a situation where really only customers who were on fixed-line internet or agents who are on fixed line internet were able to use our services. Mm -hmm. So we saw a, a, an incredible drop in both our mon monthly active users and our uh, account usage. Um, and, and that continued uh, really for a couple of months where we really had to uh, try and move as many of our agents onto fixed line broadband connections, which, which won't as impacted as badly as 4G um, and really try and protect our revenues as much as we could. So that was really the uh, the first and second shock, if you like, the security situation followed by the, the by the internet ban, um, and, uh, and and we we rode through both of those relatively okay. We had to do a lot of cost cutting, uh, particularly when we had the the drop in revenue, but we did manage to get our business back to a point where we could ride it out uh, profitably through the year. So we still didn't have any months uh, in 2021 where we actually had losses on a monthly basis. What was the thinking there in terms of the finances? You're a startup, I, I, you know, investors might have been willing to give you a pass uh, for a period of time. Many startups don't make money for a long time. You've been profitable, profitable for, a, for a while. Uh, what was the, the business uh, and strategic ethos there? I think the business rationale was really, we had to have a conversation with our shareholders first and foremost about what their expectations were. And, and uh, it, it, the, the challenge with the situation um, nearly 12 months ago was we didn't know how long the uncertainty would continue. So we really couldn't have a situation um, from both management or a shareholder perspective where we started making a loss and that loss would continue for the, you know, an un unidentifiable period of time. So uh, our recommendation to the shareholders was really to reshape the company significantly. Um, and get the company to a, a size where we could ride out um, with the reduced revenue stream, we could ride out the, uh, the issues that we foresee and that provided we didn't see a further reduction in, in revenue, uh, then the, the business could actually ride it out. And that's essentially what we did. It was, it was a really difficult process actually, because it obviously involved quite a significant amount of job cuts, but it enabled us to get to a point where we could ride out the, uh, the those difficult few months, and then we, from about the middle of last year, we started to see a recovery happening from there. Was there a point at which you or other members of the senior team were thinking of maybe just throwing in the towel and trying something else? I don't think ever. I mean, one of the things about uh, Wave Money and its role in in Myanmar is I've had a lot of people say to me uh, how important Wave Money has been during COVID and during the, the period of the last 12 months, um, particularly as, as travel started to be restricted around the country. 
um, firstly due to COVID and then secondly due to the uh, due to uh, the incidents of last February. Um, the only way to move money around the country in a lot of ways was through the banking system if you're banked uh, or through wave money. And so really, you know, we we bear a very strong sense of responsibility for the role that we have in the country and, and in keeping the economy moving. Um, and really, at the end of the day, we're helping those that are most disadvantaged in a lot of times. So um, if we don't help that money get back to the village, then, then it often means that people aren't eating or they're not getting medical care or, or, or whatever. So it's a very important role. So yeah, I don't think no one in our management team would ever have thought that, that this was too hard. I think we just had to keep pushing through. Where are you now? Where, what's the mood like? Uh, we're, we're in a good place now, I'd say. I mean, there's certainly still um, you know, a lot of concern about uh, the future for the country amongst our local staff. And, um, but you know, they've, uh, they've been through a very difficult time. I mean, we also had the third wave of COVID, which hit us in July, which was really the, the, the next sort of shock that we dealt with. Um, that was a, a really terrible wave uh, where we saw, you know, a, a huge number of deaths in the country. Um, we were very lucky we didn't have any deaths within our own team, but we had a lot of family members of, of staff who, who died uh, from COVID during that period. So I think, you know, the staff have really uh, gone through, um, you know, challenge after challenge this year. And I would say uh, towards the end of last year, we, we started to get back much back much more back into a business as usual mindset. Um, we, we've been back in the office now for a number of months. Um, we were seeing a good recovery in terms of our uh, revenues and, uh, and we're starting to really invest again into, into our digital transformation and uplift uh, around a number of our projects. When we last spoke, it was 2020, summer of 2020. And at that point you were, uh, you had a pending um, minority state going to Ant's group slash Alibaba. That was obviously before their IPO got uh, got squashed by Chinese regulators. So, and a huge restructuring going on there. So just from that shareholder point of view, uh, what's been going on and, you know, what, what's the, what is the, who are the key stakeholders now? Yeah, so I think, uh, obviously, you know, it's been reported that 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 ant transaction was put on hold um, in around May this year, um, and uh, and I think um, you know whilst whilst it was uh, it was disappointing that 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 occurred. It was obviously there was a lot happening at that time. You know, obviously in Myanmar, but also in China. I mean, it was a pretty incredible time when you see that what was happening with Ant and their internal issues and, and obviously then what was happening in the Myanmar market as well. Um, I think for us, um, you know, we've just had to keep on, uh, keep on pushing through. And, and I think the, the news that was announced yesterday was a, a really good outcome uh, because I think we, we announced obviously last year that as well as the Ant transaction occurring, Telenor were using the opportunity to exit out of, uh, out of the business in Myanmar. Um, and uh, when the ant deal was put on hold, uh, it took us some time to, to uh, finalise the transaction with Telenor, uh, but they still intended to leave. So that's now been done. Uh, we announced that yesterday where Yoma Strategic will take the majority uh, share and control of wave money, uh, whilst Telenor will, will, will exit once we have regulatory approval. So I think, um, you know, we're I think everyone is happy about the transaction. Telenor are very happy with the contribution they've made, um, but feel it's a, the right time for them to leave. Um, and uh, and Yoma Strategic obviously see this as a really strategic transaction for them and, and their growth uh, in Myanmar as well. 
So how, how will that change things? Um, not not greatly in a lot of ways. Like I don't see our strategy changing. I don't see uh, our um, I don't see the the business model changing. Uh, Yoma have been very involved in the business, uh, even as a forty nine percent shareholder. Um, Melvin Pun, who's the CEO of Yoma Strategic, is the chairman of Wave Money and very active in the business. So I think it, it's a fairly natural transition. Um, and even you know talking to our staff, they're they're very they're very positive about the transaction and and uh, obviously have a lot of engagement already with with the the Yoma management. So, what does it mean in terms of Telenor? Uh, to what extent did you rely on them? Because you know sending money via via mobile four um, G, they were one of the major foreign operators. Uh, does that change the waves that you? Uh, sorry to use your name, uh, company name, but does it change the the airwaves that you ride? Um, and and what does that mean for I, I guess the the, the business that and the relationships you have with with carriers yeah so we, we're agnostic uh, across all operators so we we really you know as an app-based business as long as customers have a 4g connection they're able to use our services uh, we sell airtime across networks so um, so there's really no change for that I, I actually think the involvement of Telenor um, has really it, it's added a lot of value to the business, uh, but probably a lot more value at the start of the business and in the early years uh, over time. Um, Telenor had a lot of experience with financial services; they had a lot of experience with distribution, um, and we were able to to really leverage some great people out of the Telenor system who came into the business and and took management roles and um, and you know were able to to bring that knowledge and experience into the business. So I would say now, as you know, as we've matured as a business, um, we, we don't have any Telenor staff left working in the business anymore. Um, we have a lot more local staff who've been trained up uh, over over the years in management roles. So I think now um, our reliance on Telenor has been is really as you know, apart from being a, a great local partner, it, it, we we don't really need them from an operational sense at all. What are going to be some of your now that you can you have a little bit of space to think about the business um, outside of crisis mode? What do you want to do with the tech stack? Because when we last spoke, you had a lot of ambitions around that. Um, you know, you were looking at companies like GCash and Grab and thinking that you know there was a path forward for for Wave Money to to have some kind of similar footprint in Myanmar. Uh, but you wanted to. I mean, one of the reasons that you were talking to Ant was because of their incredible experience and their their tech. Uh, capabilities. If that's off the table, then then what are you thinking? What do you need to do, and how are you going to get there? Yeah, we had a very good uh, tech strategy outline. So um, even before uh, the ant relationship uh, was developed, we we, we had uh, a five year tech roadmap that we developed, um, and and that saw. I, I mean, when I look at our technology, we've been running uh, the same stack now since we launched in two thousand and sixteen, and in essence, we've been renovating that stack as you like uh, and particularly from the channel perspective you know we we have uh, very sophisticated middleware and then the, the channels and and we've put a lot of focus and attention to the channels i think going forward we're we're looking at uplifting our kyc where uh, and and really having a um, a much more seamless onboarding approach for customers to make it easy for them to to do kyc and then to give them the ability then to to add value-added services, um, you know, such as connecting bank accounts and um, and moving into other services over time, that, that really it's much better if they're a, they're a fully KYC customer. 
Um, we're looking at upgrading channels um, and building a lot of extra functionality into the way we offer our channels. Um, you know, we, we currently uh, work on um, a lot of partnerships and we want to really embed those partnerships into our app uh, in, in a much more significant way. Um, and then in terms of our core platform, um, I mean, we'll look very closely at our core and, you know, the volume that we're doing now is, is pretty significant and our current core is managing that pretty well, but we've got to look forward for the next five years and make sure that we've got a core platform that's going to cope with the capacity of where we're heading as well as what we're doing now. Did you learn, I mean, you're talking about, you know, putting all your agents on fixed line to, to deal with the, uh, the internet uh, and five, 4G outages that you experience. Um, when it comes to, I guess, to security and resilience, um, most founders or most tech companies probably don't put that as, a, as their priority. They just try to go for the eyeballs and, and build the thing. Um, what would be your, your advice for, for, uh, for fintechs or virtual banks or whomever looking to, to wherever they are um, in terms of that security? What do they need to think about when it comes to making sure that their business can survive um, any kind of uh, major disruption? Yeah, I think it's it, it's interesting. Um, I was just talking to someone from one of the major platform companies today, and I was saying how um, if there's one area which I think emerging platform companies, emerging fintechs need to focus on, it, it is that layer of compliance and uh, and 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 risk, and particularly information security and also regulatory compliance. Um, we've put a lot of attention um, into information security. We've put a lot of attention into um, regulatory compliance and and uh, and uplifting things like fraud management and so on. And the experience we've had is that it's never too early to put those capabilities in place. And and I think in some cases we've had to play catch up on some of those areas. And uh, and I think um, the experience that I or the, the advice that I would say to any, any founder is, um, you know, focus very strongly on fraud management, focus on information security, focus on regulatory compliance, and make sure those capabilities are built out to a very mature level as early as possible. What's the vision now? Um, you know, you, we've been talking about, you, you can dream a little bit again uh, and, and begin to put in place a roadmap. Where do you see Wave Money in a year or two from now? What do you want to be doing with it? I think we, I mean, we're very focused on uh, this, still the digitization path. You know, we, we certainly see that, uh, that Myanmar, despite the challenges in the country at the moment, Myanmar has a very bright, you know, it, it is a, it's a big economy with, with a, um, you know, with a, with a population that, um, you know, is very digitally savvy because of the investment that's been made over the last five years. So we, we definitely see that digitization will continue. Um, the banked population is still relatively small as an overall percentage of the adult population. So we still see the opportunity to, to build a, an app that can you know, really drive to the majority of the population. Um, and we'll continue to use our um, agent-led business to generate cash for the business. I mean, we, we're in this great situation where we're able to actually generate really strong cash flows um, that we can then invest into where we see the growth areas and uh, and we see digital as the growth area and, and that's where we'll invest. Last question, Brad, is um, before uh, things went haywire, uh, you were looking to do some marketing internally to sort of change the, you, you, you had launched uh, WavePay and you were trying to 
I guess, develop a, a hipper, younger uh, attitude, not just look like um, something for mom and pop's uh, parents running uh, running the, the kiosks. Um, how did were you able to do that, or did you have to? You know, uh, was that a a nice to have, but obviously, given an emergency situation, maybe it didn't work out, or just you know, do you still have that ambition to maybe create a, a an idea, an imagination around the brand? Yeah, we've done a lot. We did a lot of work on that, and we did actually relaunched the brand last year. Um, one of the things that's actually happened in Myanmar in 2021 is that most brands pulled right back from, from communicating in the market. And I think there, were, there was so much uh, noise, if you like, around um, uh, really around just the situation that um, it, it, it had to be very careful about actually communicating anything essentially than, than just basically the most basic information. Um, so I think, yeah, we've been very sensitive to that. We haven't done a lot of marketing in the last 12 months. Um, in the last few months, we've started to actually remarket, and we notice as well that a lot of the other brands are starting to do the same. Um, we're looking right now at, uh, at what we'll do this year, and which will probably be continuing to, um, to communicate the benefits of, of the digital product um, so that consumers uh, are aware of that. So yes, so I think it, it's been a, an up and down year is what I would say for, for marketing. Uh, certainly what we'd originally planned to do uh, had to be pulled, pulled right back um, given the circumstances of last year. Yeah, well, hopefully 2022 will be uh, a year where you can start to uh, have a little more fun with the business as well as uh, just try to keep the wheels on. Yeah, hope so too. Yeah, Brad, thanks for coming on board. It's been great to speak with you and uh, good luck with the new year. Great, thanks, Jane, my pleasure.